Storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. With Jessica and Georgia and all their friends, you never know how the story's gonna end. But storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. Welcome to the first episode of season two of Storytelling Saves the World, a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pack, and I'm here with my fabulous storytelling partner in crime, Georgia Chalahi. So good to hear you again. Um, and you know what time it is? It is time for the state of Jessica and Georgia. Well, I will say that um, this whole year feels like a giant smack upside the back of the head in terms of my learning curve. That's probably the biggest thing about my state of being. How about you, Georgia? Um, absolutely. So I started a new job last year that I was learning how to do. And then when I came back this year, apparently it was a whole new job that I had to learn how to do again. And Basically, it started out with a lot of just putting out fires in classrooms with technology and teachers trying to figure out how to do this whole new thing. Um, but um, speaking of putting out fires, I know, Jessica, you were involved in actual fires that uh, yes. impacted you for the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think close on the heels of learning that we were going to be in distance learning mode starting off the school year, we actually had... Um, the wildfire called the apple fire near where I live. So a couple of days before we were contracted, my family and I were evacuating and we ended up in a hotel room. So the first couple of days of school was like live and coming at you from Holiday Inn and Suites. Thanks so much for tuning in kids. It was very interesting. At least you had good Wi-Fi. Yeah, you know, nice improvement. Um, that was kind of like our surprise when we got home was like all the Wi-Fi cable burned up. So we had a solid two weeks without any internet and we had to kind of get things tethered off of our phone. It's just been like one of those really weird times where you have to be hyper flexible, even more flexible than you think you can be or that you are. Like, I would like to think I'm a very adaptable person, but even this was like a stretch for me. You still did it, and you still did it with grace. I mean, you were teaching from the hotel room. You just did it because that's what needed to be done. So I, I think this, the grit that we're all learning this year is incredible. Um, it's this never-ending game of whack-a-mole that we're playing of, you know, we get one problem taken care of, and boom, there's another one. But yeah, I just think of you the first day of school in a hotel room, and that really kind of sums up the year. But kudos to you for just doing it. Well, thanks. I keep hearing that analogy that we're building the plane while we're flying it. And uh, I, I really like that one. I like to picture myself like dangling from the wing occasionally. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we've also had a lot of great opportunities associated with ISTE. Um, you know, we had a door close with the temporary hiatus of Digicom Learning due to uh, COVID-19 and kind of that whole situation and the impact on the nonprofit field. So um, I know that both of us were pretty devastated to see that kind of close its doors, right, Georgia? Yeah, and, um, and it's funny, it's like almost immediately or simultaneously, ITSTE, which is the International Society of Technology and Education, reached out to us because we had sent proposals for our ITSTE 2020 in June. And they wanted us to uh, present for their summit this summer because the June training went away 
but they asked us to present live this summer. And so we did two webinars, which was kind of interesting because I'd never really been in a webinar where you can't really talk to people as you're teaching. So that was weird. It's people from all over the world. I mean, we had some teachers from Africa that, you know, I know had popped in and, you know, they could type in the chat and stuff, but it still was weird. But we figured it out on our feet as we do all things. And it was, um, it was, it was a very cool experience. I think I learned a lot too. Like we're expanding our network and, and just our concept constantly of what digital storytelling is, what it can look like in the classroom. And so I just found that whole summit a really valuable experience. I'm pretty sure that I either went to or watched recordings of almost every session there, which is sort of insane and really speaks to my lack of anything to do this summer because I know, yeah, I was we're all at home, we're quarantined. What else am I going to do? Oh my goodness. Well, from there, we kind of um, ended up joining the PLN leadership team for the Digital Storytelling Network. So we are excited to continue to plan to provide different webinars and opportunities for people to grow in the areas of digital storytelling. And actually, we have another opportunity coming up on October 5th, right, Georgia? Right. It's the Confident Creators Lab. And um, it is $99 for ITSY members. And so there's a lots of cool little sort of mini things you can go in and, and play with around digital storytelling and um, digital media kind of things. And so we're excited to try it. We haven't really done it in this format either. It's like 20 minute sessions. So, um, but Jessica and I keep pushing the envelope in what we're comfortable with. That seems to be our thing. So <laughs> we will make it work. Well, for new listeners, Georgia and I bring a range of experiences to the show. I've been teaching middle school for the last 16 years, and I'm also a California Teacher of the Year. And I was in the classroom for 31 years, actually started before cell phones were a thing, long time ago. Glad for the Zoom filters. Um, and um, I was, have been involved with digital storytelling for um, the last 10 years, and I'm bringing it as an instructional coach and offering it in classrooms as well. So been around a long time. We are so excited to kick off this season with an incredible guest. Our guest today is a teacher from our neighboring school district, Desert Sands Unified in the Coachella Valley. Uh, Georgia and I were fortunate to provide professional development in the area of digital storytelling. And our guest today has um, become an incredible storyteller. So we're super stoked that Alex Jackson is here for the show. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Oh my gosh, thank you guys so much. Uh, I've never considered myself like a professional storyteller, but I think I want to be, right? I think I should make that the thing that I do. So thank you guys. I, th I think that this is an amazing story that brought us all here together. And I can't believe I get to be the, the first episode of the second season. So flattered. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about like what you do and what's your background? Absolutely. So I am teaching right now uh, at Indio High School in Desert, uh, Desert Sands Unified School District. And I've been there just this year. I just switched over to Indio. I used to be at a, at a neighboring school. And I've been in the Coachella Valley for the past five years as an educator. Before that, uh, really the past 10 years, I've been doing the whole education thing, after school tutoring, um, and also I would say storytelling. Like I, I do a lot of speaking and uh, engaging with students in that way. And so trying to find ways to get um, really this idea of English and storytelling and sharing our, our, our narratives with each other. I've been trying to do that ever since I got out of college. So uh, I've been all over the place, Los Angeles, East LA, um, all the way out to Kansas, Big Bear, and now I'm here at Coachella Valley 
not native. <laughs> that's okay. I don't think any of us are native. So. Yeah, that is something that's unique about our area. Like our districts actually all have to go to recruitment fairs to be like, come teach in the desert. It's amazing. 120 degrees worth of amazing. <laughs> it's legitimately surprisingly amazing. Like I definitely had no idea about the Coachella Valley before I came here. And when I got my first job, it was in Palm Springs. And I thought, wow, I'm going to go to Palm Springs. I've heard that that's a really big place, but it's in the middle of nowhere. And I had no idea. I, I was so surprised when there were like movie theaters out here. <laughs> and that sounds like living on a ranch somewhere. I legitimately did. I thought that it was like that movie Tremors, where they're like okay. living out in the middle of nowhere. I was like, I'm, I'm ready for it. This is the next step. I'm excited. And then when I got here, it's like, this is fancy. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, I believe your district has started the year on distance learning as well, right? That's pretty standard for yes. a lot of people in our county. So how's that going for you? So distance learning is certainly a challenge that I think for the most part, many of us are hearing that term and immediately thinking that's not the way that I want it to be, right? That's like the, the story that we're telling about distance learning is this idea of like, there was something that, that was going really well. And then all of a sudden an event took place and everything after that is this distance learning. And we just need to fix it and go back to way, the way things used to be, the way that it used to work. And I'm realizing that that's not the case. I think with distance learning, I think the more that I embrace the reality of what it is right now, the better the distance learning is. So <clears throat> it's certainly frustrating because I wanna do all the same stuff that worked before, but I'm realizing that I have to adapt. And as you had said, like the building the plane as you're flying it, it's more so like inventing a brand new concept, right? Like there are some schools that have been doing something like this but they were with students that never had to do that, right? We were in a context where that wasn't the requirement. And so everything sort of shifted and we're having, and we're having to uh, address that. And I think that honestly, narrative and storytelling is the best way that we can. I like how you were, you know, the way you described, you know, the distance learning event that shifted everything. But I mean, and I think just from listening to some of your videos and you talking, it, it, it can be a positive thing too if we embrace the season that we're in because maybe some of the reason we want it to go back the way it was is because that's what we were comfortable with. It doesn't right. mean it was, it was good. It just means that's what we knew. And I'm certainly hoping whenever we're on the other side of this, some of these practices will stay in place that are good and engaging for kids because this is a lot of how they think. Not necessarily the Zoom meetings, but certainly all of the digital aspects of what we're doing now. Right. Well, and I think that that's been the surprising thing. So I'll, I'll put this in the frame of a narrative because storytelling changes <laughs> yeah. the world, saves the world. That's what we're here to talk about. Um, but this idea that like in most narratives, you have a protagonist and they wake up and they're living a normal life. And then something happens and it changes their normal life. It forces them to get out of bed. You can have a good story about somebody who wakes up and they're hungry, and so they have to go to the other room to get a sandwich. That can be a good story because it's starting with this, a thing happened that forced you to do something, right? And if we look at it that way, we're in this first act where we just set up what normal was, 
and now we're realizing something has occurred. The antagonist has entered the picture, this coronavirus, this thing, and now everything else, the story that we're telling is us dealing with this conflict and finding new creative solutions and recognizing that that's the way forward, right? We're moving into a second act and we're not at the point where we're like, I figured it all out. Like I, I'm no, I'm by no means a master, but there's something very beautiful about waking up and realizing that it's not the same as yesterday, that something has occurred that has split your whole life into before this moment and after this moment. And I think the more that we embrace that concept, the more we're going to be able to have creative solutions, forward-facing solutions, right? Where we're saying, I can't get back to the way things used to be. I have to go forward and I have to make that decision. I love that idea that we're still writing the rest of our story, that this is really just the beginning and a rebirth for education as opposed to being a crisis. I, I've read a lot that what we did in the spring was crisis teaching, but this is far more purposeful and, um, you know, a great opportunity for all of us to grow as educators. I like what you're saying, Georgia, too, that there are certain things that we're doing now that you kind of hope stick around. And I would say, for me, the big thing I've seen with colleagues is just empathy, like so much yes. empathy shown toward kids and families and being aware of what they're dealing with. Um, and I just think that that is an incredible shift that we've been experiencing. And, sure. and I've seen so much more collaboration among grade levels that in the past siloed in their classrooms and really didn't work together. And, and I've sort of likened it to, you know, like battlefield teaching, you know, mm. when you're in a war and it's like tr educational triage, you know, we need to come together and not hide in the corner and this is my stuff and you can't have it and I'm not sharing, which sometimes happens. And I'm hoping going forward too that this stays where the doors are open and we're all helping each other solve problems. In, and, it, and so I do think that's a positive aspect of this as well. Well, and I love the way that you're both putting that and recognizing that things before weren't the best, right? We're not under this nostalgic uh, lens saying like, oh yeah, if we can only get back to the way things used to be. I asked all my students this morning uh, during my classes, I said, how many of you guys want to go back to the way things used to be? And it's a Zoom chat. So of course it's just, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> There's like a whole bunch of students. Yeah, I totally want that. And then I'm like, how many of you thought that the way things used to be was good? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> like all of a sudden people being like, that's right. I didn't really like the way that homework worked before. So of course I don't like the way that homework works now. And I'm like, so here's the trick. We're in this mindset of like, how do we get the old thing to, to fit into the new spot? And you're like, what if you get the students to start shaping what it looks like, right? Get the students to start saying, you know what? I can't do this much work and I don't want to. <laughs> like, I don't think that this is effective because we've got studies, we've got, you know, plenty of teachers that are getting ed D's and all sorts of research about uh, whether or not this model was working and they've been talking about it for forever. Right. But the model has mostly stayed the same. People don't want to change and you get in, you know, it's too hard to change. So I'll just stick with what I know. And mm. this, everyone has to change at the same time. Um, I, I, like we're saying, I think there's some positivity to that. <laughs>
even within the broader ed tech community, there's been like a cry for change that's lasted, you know, more than a decade. It's been forever. And there are pockets of this really great innovative use of, of technology, um, particularly student centered use. But there's always kind of been that line, if only there was something as a catalyst to inspire change. So you're right, maybe this is the thing. Maybe this is the moment that's, you know, defining that for us. That's great. Well, I sure hope so. Right. I, th I feel like in talking with other teachers, I very like very frequently am hearing the complaints, the heartbreak, the struggle about it, which is all very real. But uh, we're not recognizing that there are some students that are thriving mm -hmm. that would not have participated otherwise. I had a student that had just recently been diagnosed with autism last year, and I gave them the opportunity to write via um, via Google Docs. They would just write to me while things were going on. And so they didn't have to participate in the normal conversations that were happening in the class. The moment that we went into distance learning, that kid was logged on every day, ready to go, excited, and wanted to teach me about it. And so when we first went into that, like, what we call like the triage moment, right? <laughs> right when we all got forced to go home, I was like, what should this look like? And that kid was like, oh, I've been waiting for you to ask. You know, I know exactly. Let me, let me show you how to build a Minecraft server. And I'm like, what? How does that have anything to do with teaching? And he's like, let me show you. Because it can be amazing. And all of a sudden you're like, that's right, there are no rules. So if this was a narrative that we were telling, what we're telling, we're trying to talk about back to the future, right? Like, we gotta go back in time to stop my mom and dad from blankety blank. No, the story is forward, right? The conflict is, is in front of us. It's not back there. It's not something you can undo. You don't have that option. Take the lessons you learn, you know, like the hero's journey and, and mm. all of that sort of, um, thought process and, and learn from it to move forward in a positive way. And that is the only hope, you know, as this lasts, which I know no one wants it to, but the longer that it takes to go back, I think the better chance we have of doing that. Well, and I mean, we're right in the middle of our, our big moment of revelation here. So they're still always following that, the triumph of the human spirit. There's a lot left to be seen for sure. And I, I think it's good, like you guys have said, that our, our profession has maybe a moment of, um, you know, reflection and a time for all of us to really evaluate those practices that we maybe have clung to for a while that need to, um, you know, maybe shift in favor of something better. And then we look at the statistics that led us up to this point about uh, this generation is less creative than any of the previous generations. And you're like, what is it that that we really need in this moment more than anything is that level of creativity and flexibility and we don't have it and we've actively been training students away from it mm -hmm. we've been standardizing results in order to get standardized uh outcomes so we can say look they're all getting better and you're like no no what i want is for a student to come in and have a completely different answer. And I don't care if it took them four days to figure it out. I just want them to do something new because that's going to be so necessary in case, I don't know, a pandemic happens or like, It creates that grit of, of being able to think on your feet. If this isn't working, what am I going to do next instead of, oh, what do I do now? Because I've never had to like work myself out of a crisis 
or, mm. uh, you know, before. I, I love, um, I want to make a plug for your YouTube channel because I love some of your resources on there. I, I love that you filmed yourself setting up your room at NGO High School from nothing. That was awesome because you know how people always video and it looks magic and, you know, you come in and it's a TV studio. So I think that was really um, authentic. And I loved that you read Stella Luna to your kids on film as, as a way to read because you teach high school kids. You, you know, wouldn't think about that. So um, I, I hope people check out what you have there because uh, you're super engaging and it's super useful information. Thank you so much for that. I know that um, the YouTube channel, I've always, I've always liked YouTube. I've always been a consumer of the YouTube. <laughs> uh, but the moment that this pandemic happened, the students, I, I was just like, what is some way that I can get in, like, in touch with you guys? What will work that will help? The students responded just in droves. They were like, there are three things that we really want. We want YouTube. If you can be in that place, then I will show up. And I'm like, okay, cool. You have a digital home already. Let me show up there. And then they also said Minecraft. And they said, set up a Minecraft server and we will show you what it's like for us in this space. And it blew my mind. These kids live an entire second life online. And then the third was Discord. Discord is this like chat app um, with like just lots of different channels where people can discuss stuff. And I am not terribly versed in it, but setting up those three things. In the course of those two weeks, I set up those three things and I still communicate with those students. And then I was like, if I have this YouTube channel <laughs> and summer is over and then all of a sudden teachers are asking me, hey, what can I do? How can I fix stuff? How can I, how can I do this distance learning thing? I was like, well, hopefully I can get people to the YouTube channel and tell stories there and direct people there. And so I, I find that as much as YouTube is part of the problem of this clickable culture we've created, I also think that it's been a tremendous tool and leaning into it has been a huge help. And I think it's great the way that you're talking about, like, you know, usually a teacher ends the school year and, you know, the kids go and you may not see them again. But now with all these digital platforms and us being able to lean into them, we have a way to connect with our students even past the year we teach them, which is um, as a, you know, I, I love that. Can see where they go. And Jessica and I were talking about that earlier, just seeing our kids, you know, become adults and marry and have kids. And well, I don't know. You guys may have not taught that long, but, um, you know, just seeing that that progression is is heartwarming and that yes. you were part of it, you know, a long time ago and they still care to hear what you have to say about stuff. I, I kind of feel we're probably going to have to do a part two of this and have you back at some point, Alex, because uh, you have a lot of great ideas. Totally agree with that. I would love to hear how some student-centered digital storytelling projects roll out with your kiddos during this distance learning time. For now, though, I think it's time to start wrapping it up. So uh, what about a round of five and 60? Alex, are you game for that? Well, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready, Jessica? I am ready. This is the point where we ask five rapid fire questions and you answer with the very first thing that comes to mind. All right. Here we go. What is your go-to drink when storytelling fails? My go-to drink is chocolate milk. Um, specifically, it's a, a malted milk. What is that? Ovaltine? Where uh -oh. you put in just way too much Ovaltine. It's got to be like 
three-fourths powder, one-fourth milk. I'm lactose intolerant. What is your weirdest distance learning moment so far? The weirdest distance learning moment? I've got so many. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, there was one time I was doing a, a live stream and I just kind of casually was sitting down and I lifted my leg up and didn't realize that my shorts, I had my thigh just in the shot. And it's just this, the lighting was terrible. It's just this very white blur <laughs> right next to the camera. And some student just like types it. It's like, hey, by the way, your thigh's in the shot and I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm uncomfortable too. <laughs> and then I just started buying sweatpants instead of sweat shorts. Now it's all sweat short. All sweat, all sweat pants. sweatpants. Next question. Piece of equipment you couldn't live without this year. Ooh, um, I would say my standing desk. As much as I love all my video equipment and stuff, I am very fidgety. And if it weren't for the fact that I had a standing desk, I would, I would not be able to survive Zoom calls. <laughs> What is the most surprising thing that you have discovered about yourself since embarking on your digital storytelling journey? I think what I've discovered more than anything is that um, I, I'm a very relational person. I always felt kind of burned out at the end of the school day because of how much interaction with others there was. And now that that's not there, I'm like, no, that was, I wasn't burned out. I was energized, right? And realizing how necessary that was for me and connecting with other people, like that's the worst thing to realize during a pandemic where you can't see anybody. Last, last question. What do you do to make Zoom more fun for your kiddos? I've got my um, Zoom set up with two different cameras. And so uh, my second camera is actually just my PlayStation. And I set it up like a live stream at the very beginning of class where I'm playing Fall Guys and listening to chill lo-fi hip-hop music and students are coming in, I think that it's important to capture that like traveling uh, to and from class, that in-between time where I usually get to talk to students. I think that that's the most important thing. That was a good round. It's time <laughs> for our uh, Storymatic. Are we ready? I think we are. So I have three card Montied, the beginning, middle, and end cards. Looks like I'll have the beginning. Georgia, you'll do the middle. And Alex, you've got the end. So our Storymatic cards that were picked are a person with a hidden talent and noticed at last. All right, are you ready, Jessica? I am. So when Edmund woke up this morning, he couldn't believe he had yet another day of a million and one Zooms in front of him. But he was strangely optimistic that today would provide him with a new opportunity. So as he rolled straight out of bed and grabbed his Chromebook, because that's literally how he rolls these days, um, Edmund logged on and saw on his teacher's Instagram accounts a new post, something about a virtual talent show. Edmund's mind was reeling because he was waiting for his opportunity. He had classic stage fright. He was always the quietest kid in class, but he knew in a virtual talent show, he could just perform in his room. And he had this amazing talent that was... Yo-yo skills. As he looked to his desk right next to him was his 
most famous yo-yo that he had used in all of the past yo-yo competitions dating back to 2006 when he was only six years old. And he grabbed the yo-yo and fiddled with it in his hands and let it rip. And all of the students and all of the teachers that were watching the talent show wept tears of joy. The end. The end. Yay. Were we kind That's of good. out a minute on that one, Georgia? Um, yeah, that was two minutes. Maybe next yep. time we'll do an episode on our passive aggressive storytelling tactics where like <laughs> I pass the uh, Here you go. to you about talent and you pass it right on to Alex. Oh my goodness. Thanks so much for joining us here on Storytelling Saves the World. Our show notes can be found on our website, storytellingsavestheworld.com. And hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and or SoundCloud. Drop us a review. Our next podcast will be how one teacher librarian has embraced storytelling during this age of distance learning. If you have an idea for our podcast, please email us via the contact form on our website. We'd love to hear from you. Again, it's storytellingsavestheworld.com. Until next time, what's your story? Mm -hmm.